Check, check. Okay, there we are. Now we're, we're rolling here. All right, well, hey, church, can we give it up for Anthony last week who gave us a great message from the Word about the Holy Spirit and His power in our lives? Aren't you so grateful? I live my life by that saying that the Holy Spirit inside of you is greater than the Jesus beside you. How many of you would lose your mind if Jesus just came through that front, that back door right now and we knew that was Jesus? We'd go, whoa! But Jesus says, so much greater than me walking through that back door is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He says that is more powerful. And so, Anthony, thank you for that reminder, brother. That was so good. So good. Hey, we are in the book of Mark. If you, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 21 through 43. And just a quick reminder about the book of Mark. The whole book of Mark was written so that the hearer, so that the listener would have to decide who is this man, Jesus Christ? Who is he? Who do we say that he is? And so that the whole purpose is that we would have to make a decision and a confession on who is Jesus. Today, we are going to see that he relief that we, that we are desperate for. I'm going to share a story with you. You might not typically hear stories like this from a pastor, so brace yourself. Um, but I'm going to share this because I, I want you to understand something. That me standing up here, that I am, there is nobody here in this room that is more in need of Jesus than me, your pastor. But we are all in desperate need of Jesus, aren't we? We need him. It's not a matter of we entertain him in our life or he comes beside us and helps us live a better life. It's that we need him every second of every day. We are desperate for Jesus. Sometimes it takes desperate moments in my life much I need Jesus. And so when I was a high school student, um, I'm still working on that whole smart when I was in high school, I had a bunch of friends who talked me into going, into going to a party, and the party was up on the mountain. It was late at night, and I remember as we were at this party, and I made the poor decision of joining my friends for this party, uh, one of my friends walked in, and he thought it would be really, really funny, and so this was in the middle of winter. He walks into this cabin up in the middle of the woods, and he says, cops! And being young and not very bright and terrified of getting in trouble, I bolted out the back door and ran straight into the woods in the middle of winter with my skater shoes on and a t-shirt and pants, and I just ran into the woods. And I kept running because fear drove me. And as I got into the middle of the woods, I realized, and as I looked around, I was lost in the middle of the woods all by myself. And after a time, I began to walk and I began to, to lose confidence. And I got even more scared. I, as I looked around, I realized I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where I was going to go. I was lost hopelessly in these dark woods at night. The snow was three feet deep and I was trudging through snow. And I, it seemed like for several hours through snow. And I remember my feet started to get numb. And as I down and I looked down at my feet, and I realized that both of them, because my feet, so numb down in the snow and I 
And in that moment of desperation, I said, I'm done. Just kind of a plea of God, I don't know what to do here. Bad spot. And just sprung out. He had seen me and he saw me laying in the snow in a sad, in a sad state. And he picked me up and he brought me over to where we found our shoes or my shoes, and we began to walk together. And I'll never forget as I was walking through the woods in the dark, I began to cry. I'm desperate for you. I need you here. I'm scared. Any ever been there? And it was in that moment I began to cry out to the Lord, and we began and and just plead with the Lord, and and then we chose to walk down. These I I here. Would you deliver right into our vehicles? Turn on the heat, and luckily I don't have blood bite, but we were able to up. And and it was in that moment I was up on the dashboard, and I was just weeping, and I was that you answered my cry. Thank you that you didn't leave me wandering in the woods by myself. But as a high school kid, why, why did it take me such a desperate moment for me to plea to the Lord to come into my life? Why did I plea for his deliverance? Why did it take such a moment of desperation? We're going to see two people as we read this passage that are in a moment of desperation. And they're longing for relief. It's funny, uh, one of the things that I've discovered as your pastor is that when I preach on something, typically God puts me through it the week before I preach on it. And so, of course, as I am preaching about the relief of Jesus, my back goes out. And I'm seeing a chiropractor, and I'm taking aspirin, and uh, I'm thinking, oh man, these are going to surely give me relief. And they give me a little bit of relief. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it was God reminding me, Shane... It's not about aspirin. It's not about a chiropractor. Jesus is my relief. He is the ultimate relief of my life. And so we see two people in a desperate way in this passage. Verse 21, read with me. In verse 21, chapter 5. He was two possessed man. He was legion, and God, Jesus delivered him from the demons. And so he's coming back from that work on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, Oh, I just, I hear this man's voice in my heart and in my head when I read this. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. Some of you know that pain, don't you? She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. 
But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of, um, let's keep reading. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and that Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. For us, well, we just pray. I just feel like we need to pray right now. Lord Jesus, I pray. Holy Spirit, we pray for your power. This morning, God, would you lead us to a desperation for you that doesn't require a desperate situation other than what we know we're already in, our sinful nature, in desperate need of salvation for you. Lord, we pray that desperation over our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want you to see from this passage as we unpack is this, that the relief we are desperate for is in Jesus alone. And I want you to think about this. When Jesus says, your faith has made you well to the woman, what did that faith display as? What did it look like? What did that faith look like? In both cases, it looked like desperation. Desperation for Jesus Faith looks like desperation. We desperately need Jesus. And, and church, I got to tell you, it sometimes dumbfounds me. If we believe everything that Jesus did, and if we believe the gospels, and if we believe the Bible, how is it that we live such a casual life in Christ? That it's just another normal day when we realize what Jesus has done and what he's accomplished and what he's created us to do, how could we not wake up with this desperation for more of Jesus? And I want you to see that faith, what does faith look like? It looks like desperation, but I want you to notice that in the woman who had the bleed for the long time, she ran up to Jesus and it says that she was still fearful, wasn't she? She was fearful and trembling in that passage. And so I want you to hear how many of you, like I choose to believe in Christ and I have faith in him, but I'm still afraid. Anybody there? Did you know you can bear those two things? That fear can coincide with faith. They don't necessarily have to be an enemy, but faith that pushes us through our fear. 
It doesn't eliminate our fear, but it pushes us through our fear. And so that fear of whatever it is that keeps you from being desperate for more of Jesus, we want to push through that fear. And Jesus is the relief to the woe, even if it's not healed. And so in two cases, miraculous things happen. But for the reader and for us, does Jesus heal every time? No, sometimes his answer is yes. Sometimes his answer is no. And sometimes his answer is not yet. Wait. Right? And so there's this sense of desperation. And, and we know that it doesn't always work out in healing, but we can still push past the fear and trust Jesus as our relief in the moment. Just to touch him, just to hear him, just to know his presence. I want you to see was going through in the crowd as Jesus was walking through the crowd. This woman had a condition. It's been plaguing her life for 12 years. It's all she's known for the last 12 years. And her one single thought is what? If I just touch Jesus, if I just touch Jesus, man, I just think what would happen if we had a, had that kind of a desperation for Christ every day? Would that change how we live life? If we had that same mentality, because you know what that woman was putting up with was a physical ailment. But here's the thing. Today, we who have sinned and continue to sin against the holy God, do we have a condition? We have sin nature. We've been separated from God. And so we have this condition that the only relief is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And we're in a worse state because our is it's not just a 12-year plague. It's an eternal plague. If it's not deal, dealt with, we will live with the consequences of this ailment of sin for all of eternity. And so our condition is so much more dire and desperate. But yet this woman lives out a kind of desperation. If I could just touch Jesus, I will be made well. No, Christians, we should live with that kind of desperation every day. The wages of sin is death. That is our condition, is death. This should produce in us desperation. And so I want to ask the today, as we look to, through these two accounts, these two incredible stories, I want to ask, what are five barriers to being desperate for Jesus? What are five barriers to us being more desperate for Jesus? And the first thing I see, if you look back at the beginning of the passage, you will discover that Jairus is a synagogue leader. What does that mean? Well, it means he works very closely with these guys called Pharisees. And Pharisees have been the biggest opponents of Jesus up until this point, haven't they? They've been the naysayers. And so, so Jairus was actually the one who would select in the synagogues who was going to be speaking that day or for synagogue. He was the, the kind of the overseer, the administrator. And so for Jairus to come and throw himself at Jesus' feet, it meant what for him? A loss of position. Do you think that his patrons, the Pharisees, would be glad for his desperation for Jesus? Oh no, Jairus was going to be paying the cost for this one for many years to come. How could you go to that guy? How could you go to that guy? But what did Jairus do? There's a point where we get desperate and that our posturing goes away, doesn't it? 
We don't want to keep up with the Joneses. You ever, uh, I, I love this last weekend, we went to a youth conference, and as I looked around, I saw these youth lifting hands and praising Jesus, and there were a few of them you could sense that they had completely forgotten the opinions of their friends and their peers around them because they knew somebody more important was in the room. And so they began to raise their hands and lift their voices to Jesus because position no longer mattered. They wanted to be at the feet of Jesus. What if we did that on a Sunday morning, church? What if we worship Jesus with such a focus and our eyes were so fixed on him that we forgot about what people thought about us and instead just cast ourselves in the grace of Jesus? <laughs> that is freedom. And it was for freedom that Jesus set us free. Amen. So position can be something that keeps us away from the kind of desperation that Jairus was experiencing going to Jesus. For Jairus, there was no going back. And for us today, when we cast ourselves on the graces of Jesus, there's no going back, is there? There's no going back. To rely on Jesus is to deny his patrons, his team, his people. And so it took a moment of desperation. Is that what it's going to take for us? See, after that experience with my friends, I in that moment, decided, Jesus, I'm, I'm done with my way. I'm done with my way of living, and I want to go press into you, Jesus. But you know what that happened? That came at a cost. And it came at me losing almost 100% of my friends. Because when I said, I no longer want to live for myself, I want to live for Jesus, they said, well, your Jesus makes us kind of uncomfortable. And here, Jairus was going to push in in that desperation. He was going to push past this position that he had. The next thing I want you to see, and I'm leading into here, is the crowd. See, the crowd had, plays a big role. As they're walking to Jerish's daughter, there's big crowds following Jesus, isn't there? And the funny thing about crowds is there, there can be this social pressure and I think about how this woman, when she presses in and she touches Jesus and she gets healed, and Jesus turns around and asks the question, right? What did Jesus ask? Where, you know, who touched me? Who touched me? And I think, how easy is it today to get lost in the crowd? How easy is it today to get lost in the crowd? See, there's a current that is continually pushing in one direction. And I'll tell you, that direction is not towards Jesus, is it? And so to run towards Jesus in desperation typically means that you've got to swim against the current, don't you? It means you got to do things that are sometimes unnatural to the culture and make, make the crowds kind of like you got to sift through all of the noise and all of the junk that's thrown at our ears, that's thrown at our brain, that's thrown at our hearts. You got to sift through that. You got to push through that because all you want to do is touch Jesus. And so the crowd, she was lost in the noise of this crowd, pressing forward to get as close as she could. And, and, and I always think about this. Have you ever been to a concert? The world gets this principle, don't they? You ever seen a big celebrity singing up on a concert uh, stage and all of the young people are doing what? They're clamoring forward. They're pushing. I used to love, I used to go to Vans Warped Tour, and there would be these big rock stars. And at the time, they were my idols. And, and I would try to get in as close as I could to the front of the concert, right? And I'd push through the crowds. There's this sense, brothers and sisters, that we get this as human beings, that we have to push against the current of the crowd. But for us, the goal is Jesus as believers, 
<clears throat> I think it's interesting that the disciples responded, um, you know, that there's so much going on, Jesus. Why are you worried about somebody who touched you? There's so much going on. And here's the beauty of our Lord, right? So there's oftentimes you feel like this. There's so much going on in the world. There's so much going on that you just kind of feel tiny. You feel like that? Have you been there? And you kind of feel like, man, there's so many bigger things going on. Surely God's attention is going on over there. He doesn't notice me. And I think the beautiful thing about our Lord is that the crowd doesn't dictate his agenda. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to say that again because some of you need to hear that. The crowd does not dictate Jesus's agenda. Okay. Also notice, and we'll come to this, urgency doesn't dictate Jesus's agenda. Okay. He sets his own agenda and his agenda, his agenda was the healing of this woman and acknowledging and giving her the peace. Because you notice he says, go and peace will be with you and your ailments, right? You will be in peace. And there's a sense of, of deliverance there for her. See, I think a lot of us think, oh man, God is moving over there. He doesn't have time for me, but I want you to hear this. Jesus created, and we know this from scripture, he knows every hair on our head. He knit us in the wombs. He is incredibly understanding of your woes and of your struggles and what stands you. It's not what's going on with just the U.S., but he knows intimately what is going on with you and your heart because he cares. And if you reach out to him, is he going to notice? You better believe it. You can count on Jesus, Jesus noticing you reaching out to him. Uh, I want you to see this in verse 40. And I, I thought about this moment and the fact that the is in front of Jairus, how offensive is that? How awful is that? But they laugh at the works of Jesus. I want you to hear this. Is our culture right now laughing at the works of Jesus? Yeah. Are they mocking the works of Jesus? Yes. But what does Jesus do? He dismisses them. And he takes those who have sought him out and he takes them in so that they can see this miracle of this girl being raised from the dead. And I want you to see, can you press in to Jesus? And, and here's the thing. You're going to face the sarcasm. You're going to see memes on the internet. People are going to belittle you and make you feel stupid because you're a Christian. I used to be a college campus pastor, and it amazed me how much when you said you were a Christian, they would look at you like, oh, you're one of those dumb people. Are you not educated? We've educated ourselves far beyond needing religion. And that's the mentality, isn't it, today? How's that working? It's not working for him, is it? Sometimes I think we're far more educated than we are mature enough to handle. <clears throat> so we don't let the crowd dictate to us the importance of Jesus. And by the way, in their joking, uh, cynicism and sarcasm, brothers and sisters, just so we know, it belittles important things. And it's sometimes sarcasm and humor, we just got to be cautious as believers because it can make bad things into acceptable things, can it? You ever notice the humor sometimes comedians and we see movies of comedies that try to make things okay that are not okay. And there's a sense of the crowd uses cynicism and sarcasm, but Jesus dismisses those things because he defines what is important to us. And so the crowd can be a block to our desperation for Jesus. I want you to see here and many of you 
But money can be a block to our desperation for Jesus, our resources. You see, this woman, when she needed to be healed and she was battling, first she went to the doctors and she spent lots and lots of money. And for her, initially, you can imagine that this was her sense of security. If I go to enough doctors, if I spend enough money, surely I'll be able to get well. How many of you, that is your faith. That is your assurance. How many of you have come to the end of that line and you're like, that clearly doesn't work all the time and I need Jesus. I need Jesus. See, doctors, they're important. Please hear when I say this. You need to go to a doctor, but the first person you need to go to is Jesus and pray. And Jesus will be present with you in those. But, but our, our faith cannot be in our money and our affluence and our resources See, there's this thing, principle about money that uh, it shows you where your value is. For this woman, her value was getting well initially, but then it shifted to wanting to touch Jesus and be with him. For us, where your money goes, and this is uncomfortable for a pastor. Please don't get up and, and walk out, but this is just straight scripture. Where your money goes, there your heart is. What you spend the bulk of your money on, is a re it reveals to us idols faith is in. We have Matthew 6, 24. This is Jesus. This is not your pastor. It says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve both. And doctors, they're not miracle workers. They are recipients of God's common grace, aren't they? They can understand how God has set up this world, and they can be of helpful. Uh, they can be of help, but we know that ultimately all of our bodies are going to decay someday. So all of it for all of us are kind of low preventative measures for the inevitable, aren't they? Ultimately, Jesus here is showing that money cannot problems, even if they're health issues, and they cannot fix. And we see this so played out in in our society, don't we? How are they doing? Not well. Money does not fix our problems, but sometimes it can keep us from desperately going to Jesus. It can become a replacement. Uh, I think a lot of us, when we place that uh, faith in our, in our stuff, uh, it doesn't take very long for, no matter how new your car is, someday it will Decay. It will break down, right? Some of you are able to push 200,000 miles out of your car. Some of you are praying and hoping that that thing is going to continue on in faith, but eventually it will stop, won't it? And there's this sense that our money and our resources and the things that we depend on, there is a limit to what they can do, but we serve a limitless God who we can be just desperate for, okay? And for this woman, it only got worse. She spent money. She poured everything out. And here now, she was in a desperate state running for Jesus. Here's the next thing that I want you to see from this passage. And I think of the, the anybody play Monopoly with your family? It's like the great family killer, or at least the battle starter within your family. I used to play Monopoly with my family, and my sister called it the, the Amber Rules. And her rules always led to her winning. And it's funny, but you think about everybody's playing by their own rules. You ever notice how everybody wants you to abide by their rules? You ever notice that? It's like, you got to play life by my rules. I'm going to define the rules, and the rules state that I win. 
And that's what everybody seems to want you to play by their rules. Well, this woman who had the bleed, there were rules in her day, and she was breaking the social, the social norms. And uh, I, I'll kind of uh, go through this, but if this woman's problem was of some type of, of feminine or menstrual problem, according to Scripture, she would have been considered unclean and shouldn't have been according to the rules in that crowd. What did she do? She broke the rules to go after Jesus. She broke the rules of the day to go after Jesus. And so for us, there does come a point where when we're desperate for Jesus, that it is okay for civil disobedience. And the reason I'm teaching this is I'm not saying you should all go and civilly disobey the governing authorities right now. For one, the government's probably listening to this message, okay? <laughs> but two... But two, there is probably going to come a day, brothers and sisters, that as Christians, we're going to have to civilly disobey because all we want to do is be desperate for Jesus. And our kids have to be ready for that day. Are you ready to train them for the day that they may have to break the law in order to run after Jesus? We have to be prepared for this idea that we're going to have to break push through the rules, push. And we've seen a little of this lived out in the last few years, right? I don't have to go into details with this one, right? There may be some times that pressing into Jesus means disobeying, and it means pushing past the rules. Obey the laws of the land. So we have Romans 13 that says that we have to obey the laws of the land, and we're subject to the governing authority. So the Bible number one says, obey the laws of the land, unless, unless, what? It keeps you from being desperate, from Jesus, desperate for Jesus and keeps you from following and obeying Jesus. There comes a point to the limitation of that. But until that point, Romans 13 uh, says that we should obey the governing authorities. But what if they disagree with me, Shane? I don't like the governing authorities. Do you know the context that Paul writes that passage that we are to obey the governing authorities? You know who was in charge? Much worse than uh, a, a opposing party. You're talking uh, an emperor who lit up the streets with Christian bodies. He torched them and lit them on fire. And here Paul is writing in that, that we are to obey the governing authorities. That's a tough passage that the, the emperor's name was Nero. Nero. And here Paul's saying, obey Nero? How do you work that out? So this woman, she was unclean and therefore illegally in the crowd. Um, and for us, we saw this played out. We have passages that says, don't neglect the meeting with one another. And so we shouldn't ever allow somebody to tell us that as a people group, as a people in Christ, that we can't meet together for the sake of Christ. And this is, I know this is hairy and there's all kinds of uh, subject, but this last several years has, has been a, a learning lesson for the church, hasn't it? Um, and guys, there's so much I could I could speak to. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip through to time here, and this idea. So Jesus and Jairus are walking. They're walking past this crowd, this crew of people, and you can imagine is Jairus probably getting nervous. His daughter is sick. He knows she's got a limited amount of time. And does it seem like Jesus is hurrying? To hurry a little bit more on your time schedule. I think a lot of us would like um, even Pastor to hurry up on his time schedule too, right? <laughs> um, but he stops and he deals with this woman. 
start to bleed. And, and here, uh, after 12 years, um, so you can imagine what's going on in Jairus' heart and his mind as Jesus stops and he deals with this woman. And then he gets the news that his daughter has died. How many of us would turn and say, Jesus, if you just would have gone faster, if you just would have done it sooner. Anybody ever have that conversation with God? But what did Jesus do? As soon as they heard the word, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Believe. Some of you need to hear that because you feel like you've missed it or that Jesus hasn't stepped into the situation soon enough. Believe. Afraid. Believe. See, I've seen God use many interruptions to lead me to answers in a way I'd never expect. Anybody interrupted in life? You had your trajectory, you had your plans, and you were interrupted. How many times is God using that interruption to lead you into his will so that he might be glorified? What if we treated interruptions as more like blessings? Why? God has a purpose in every strife, in every interruption, and in every moment that it doesn't seem like it's going our way. What if it takes weeks, months, or years for God to answer our prayer? So many times I've seen people, especially young people, come to Christ and um, walking with him for about a year, year and a half, two years, and they begin to fizzle in their relationship and their desperation with God. How many of us, the longer we've lived in our relationship with Jesus, sometimes we've kind of caved into being a little bit more casual. Are you there? God wants us to be desperate for him. And so sometimes time The time it takes to get from here to there, from glory to glory, we can lose our desperation. And so time is also an enemy to our desperation for Christ. So church, I want to leave you with this. So what does desperation look like? For both of these scenarios, Jairus pressed into Jesus, even though there were interruptions, and even though it meant costing him, nobody could keep him away from Jesus. Amen? And this woman who had the bleed, who had the condition, nobody, not even the crowd, could keep her from pressing in through to Jesus. And so for you and me here today, for us to be desperate for Jesus, we need to be people who nobody can keep us away from pressing further into Christ and who he is. Oh, but Shane, what if the church isn't as, uh, uh, as exciting as I want it to be? Or what if my type of people don't go to the church? Or what, what if it doesn't give me what I want all the time? It's like, well, hey, the church shouldn't be a hindrance to you pressing into Jesus. Well, my pastor can't preach very well or I don't relate to him. Is that a hindrance? I'm sorry. But also, whatever pastor you lead, whatever worship is played, whatever church you attend, if they are a Jesus teaching church, there should be nothing that hinders you from pressing deeper into Christ. We cannot be consumers anymore. Brothers and sisters, we can't just look for a church that we like and feel good about. We got to be people who suffer together for the namesake of Jesus because he's worth it and because we're desperate for him. And so if we don't get the hamburger that we want or the church that we want, we don't just book it for the one down the street, but instead we press in to Jesus there, don't we? You can't keep me away from Jesus. This is the attitude of desperation. We push through the barriers with desperation. And so questions to consider as you go into your small groups this week. What keeps you from being completely desperate for Jesus? 
What keeps you from being completely desperate for Jesus? And what would look different in your life if you were in deep dependence on Jesus? For us, it would be, you can't dissuade my pursuit. If I'm not good at studying, I'm going to learn how to study because I want to know more about Jesus. If I'm not good at reading, I'm going to press into reading anyway because I know that the Bible is my means for knowing and touching Jesus. We know the scriptures is how he reveals himself to us. We can listen. If you're not good at reading, you can listen to the word of God. It's always before you and and available to you. Distance, money, time, peer pressure, none of those things will dissuade our pursuit of Jesus. Church, can we be a people who do this? Can we be a people who are desperate for Jesus? I'm not convinced by that. Let's try it again. Can we be a people who are desperate for Jesus? Okay. Okay, let's do this. I'm going to pray for you. But if something that I said here today just, just... kind of lit you up, or if you're walking casually with Christ and you know that he has more for you than just living day in and day out, would you come and talk to me? Would you come and let me pray for you and let me share the gospel with you because the gospel changes our life and gives us a new life, an abundant life. And I want you to tap into that promise of Jesus, not just show up and sit in pews. Lord Jesus, we pray. And God, we pray that you would go to work on our hearts, that it wouldn't be a situation where we have to be made desperate before we run to you, but instead, God, that we would be a people that live daily in desperate pursuit of you, Jesus. And I pray that for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that for my my people, for the believers in the city of Riverton. I pray that we would call out, that we would cry out to you continually, Lord Jesus, because we need you. We cannot do this life apart from you for nothing we do apart from you accounts to anything of eternal value. And so God, we just want to repent from our way of life and want to run to you, Jesus. And I pray that, I pray that over us. God, give us a desperation for you in Jesus name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I'm glad you're here. If you're new, I'm so glad you're here. Come and and, uh, let me introduce myself to you, and uh, you are dismissed. Go and live desperately this week for Jesus Christ.